And we've been uh, walking through this uh, wonderful book and uh, this book that's actually a letter. And it's a letter to whom? Oh, a few of you, you few have got it. I'm going to ask again and we're all going to say it. We're going to say it together, okay? It's a letter to whom? Okay, excellent. So the church, this is important, okay? Because it uh, encourages and should emphasize that if you are a part of the body of Christ, in other words, if you are uh, someone who claims uh, the name of Jesus to be saved, that means Paul is writing with application to you as the church. And that's the neat thing about Scripture is uh, we read it, and we need to read it in context of the time and recognize that, uh, but there's uh, application that forever will be true until Jesus comes again. And so as we open this up and as we think through this, our prayer should be, uh, Lord, change me, help me to grow beyond where I'm at to where you want me to be, And even more broadly than that, uh, change us, change us as the church, as the body of Christ to be able to say, hey, we don't want to just stay the same because staying the same means we're going to remain in our sinful human state, doing things our own way, not according to what God desires. And so the prayer should be change me, God, but more broadly should be change us. Change the culture of our church to be one that matches what you desire. Change the focus of our ministries to be focused on who you are, not on what we want. Change uh, the impact in our communities to be something that glorifies him, not us. Okay? And that's where we came back a couple of weeks ago that the church is supposed to be, what is it? All right, we can do better than that, all right? Because this is super important. If we miss this point, we miss everything in the midst of this. The church is to be one. And we need to let that ring in our ears over and over and over again. Because it is the divisiveness that we experience in so many ways um, that leads to separation and the church is no longer no longer one. Okay? And so uh, Ephesians chapter 3, the big idea I want you to grasp out of this today, all right, the main concept, if you walk away with nothing else but this today, hear this, perceived strength on the outside does not equal godly strength on the inside, okay, perceived strength on the outside does not equal godly strength on the inside, and we're going to unpack where that's coming from in our text today. Alright, so Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 14 this morning. And we're going to read to the end of chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles open, follow along. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened, with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now as we open this up, I want to start with uh, praying that we would understand and see this is a prayer of Paul. A prayer that Paul is praying for the church. And so it's uh, appropriate that we open in prayer ourselves and say, God, may the eyes of our heart be enlightened. That was in Ephesians 1. To understand, to know the hope to which we have been called. Okay? So let's just pause. Let's pray that God would move and that he would transform our thinking in this way and we would be equipped to do his will this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you that you are a God who is gracious to us over and over and over again. God, we pray that uh, you would forgive us this morning for ways that we have tainted the image of the church. Forgive us for ways that we uh, become selfishly or internally focused in a way that distracts us from the broader mission you've called us to. And so we ask that you would equip us through your word and by the power of your spirit today to do that which you have called and equipped the church to do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so just a kind of a brief, I want to outline this prayer for you to make it a little easier for us to grasp the whole. And then I'm going to give uh, several specific observations from this text and about this prayer. And so uh, starting really at the beginning, we recognize that Paul is taking a posture of humility When he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's the first petition. Okay, so for outlining this, this is the first petition of Paul. In verse 16, that he may strengthen your inner being, being the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the logical question there then is, okay, why, why is he praying that? So that, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints... Okay, that's the second petition. If you missed it there, if you're reading too quick, you might miss it. The second petition being that you may have strength to comprehend, to know the love of Christ. And then you might ask the question, well, why? It says, and to know the love of Christ, verse 19, that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then the end section of this, verses 20 and 21, are really a benediction closing this out. Okay, It's the end of his prayer where he's finishing this out and saying, God, to God be the glory in the church and through Christ, in Christ forever, throughout all generations. Amen. And so if you are coming to this text and reading through this, this is an easy way for us to highlight, okay, what is the structure of this? How do we understand this better, understanding the structure of how this is established? But there's several specific points about this prayer that we might miss if we just gloss over them and uh, misunderstand the focus of what Paul is really praying, petitioning before God and asking that this would, these would be things present within the church. 
And the first one of these I want to draw your attention to is that this prayer is for internal change, not external blessing. This prayer is for internal change, not external blessing. Look at that text once again, verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit, where? In your inner being. Now, the interesting reality of this is how often, really, if we were to, if we were to make a graph, because I like looking at graphs sometimes, if we were to make a graph and uh, articulate how much of our prayer life was spent petitioning for material things, we would probably find that a majority of the things we pray for are material or felt needs. And I will include myself in that. Because we're most prone to pray when things around us start breaking down. When all of our other comforts are failing us. So we start having financial trouble. God, please provide finances to meet my bills. Or we start having marital struggles. Say, God, please bring cohesiveness to my marriage. Or it gets to be windshields of negative 50 out, and you go, God, please bring warm weather. Okay? So much of what we pray for, or petition God for, is rooted in what I want, what we want. And yet Paul's prayer here is not that the church would be blessed materially or with great riches. Rather, through the riches of God's glory, he's asking that they would be transformed internally. That they would be strengthened with the power through His Spirit in their inner being. How often do we stop and seek God for our whole being to be strengthened in Christ? To really look internally and go, man, there's some stuff internally that just has to change. Or none of these external circumstances are going to change for me. And maybe it's, in your life, a discouragement where you're going, I have prayed over and over and over again for my external circumstances to be changed, and they're not. What happens if we shift our focus and say, God, change me internally. Change the core of my being to be more like Jesus so that I see even the struggles and the trials I experience differently than I did before. Because who I am is focused and rooted in who Jesus is. It shifts things. Now, to give an example of someone who's really transparent about what was going on internally, put your finger in Ephesians and flip with me to Psalms 51. Psalm 51. And to give you a little background as you're turning there, Psalm 51 is a psalm of David, but it's a psalm that we ha- actually have some background on. This psalm was written when Nathan the prophet went to him and after he had gone to Bathsheba. Okay, so all this has happened. He has been called out 
He's been called out on what he's done wrong. And he has a choice here. He can respond several different ways. He could respond in anger. He could respond in denial. He could respond by saying, yeah, I screwed up, but not change anything. And yet we get a glimpse into what he's experiencing internally in reading Psalm 51. So it says in verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Now he goes on from there and expounds upon that. But stop for a minute and think about that statement. Behold, you, speaking to God, you delight in truth in the inward being. And that might be something that we've heard many times before. Maybe someone's told us before, it's what's on the inside that matters. And maybe we say that. Or we quote a passage where uh, David is being chosen and says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. But how often how often do we not just quote these things and state these things, but actually live in light of these truths to the point that we're like Paul praying, God, please transform my inner self. Because that's where the real battles wage, isn't it? That's where our most difficult battles are often fought. And they come out. They come out in these other circumstances. They come out in our relationships with family, with friends, with co-workers. They come out in our frustration at our job. They come out towards our children. But that's not the root of the issue. The root of the issue comes deep within my inner being. Going, man, this impacts everything. And so it makes sense. All of a sudden it makes sense why Paul would pray May you be strengthened by God's Spirit within your inner being because we recognize that that is where everything else flows from. And without change internally, and I say that individually as well as corporately as a church, we will accomplish nothing of immense value. We have to pray along with Paul that this would be an internal change. And the crazy thing is, this is what the entirety of the Christian life is to be about. Internal transformation that leads to a radical shift in external motivation. Now the second thing, this prayer is for strength. This prayer is for strength. And we see this mentioned several times. Flip back to Ephesians chapter 3. And Paul mentions this two times, verse 16, 
what we just read, that he may grant you to be strengthened. Everybody say strengthened. And then again, he says that you being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may have strength. Everyone say strength. To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And some of us are really good about quoting scripture passages on strength. In fact, many of us have probably at one time or another quoted Philippians 4 and said, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And again, usually we're focused on an external thing, okay? Or many of us may know Colossians 1, where Paul prays, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And Paul's prayers specifically here seek strength by This is important. By the Spirit, okay? It's not some sort of, again, external strength that they're getting. Physical strength, maybe even not. But it's a spiritual strength. It's through God's Spirit that you would be strengthened. And strengthened specifically, not just in your inner being, but in verse 18, that you may comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul is praying that the church would be strengthened by the Spirit, and the reason for that is so that my whole self would embody Jesus, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, church, it takes strength to be like Christ. It takes strength to be like Jesus. In fact, what I want you to do, I want you to turn to your neighbor, I want you to tell them, it takes strength to be like Jesus. And I want you, I want you to do that because... Oftentimes we make the false assumption that when we come to faith in Christ, things are going to get easier. And that's just not the case. Life isn't easy to begin with. But it doesn't become easier just because we decide we're going to follow Jesus. When the person sitting across from you drives you bonkers... It takes God's Spirit in your life, giving you strength to act like and speak like Christ. When the person in line with you in the grocery store starts talking to you, it takes strength of God's Spirit to work up the courage and use it as an opportunity for a gospel conversation. It takes the same strength to grow in your knowledge and your comprehension of the love that Christ has had for us. Do you ever just sit and take to mind the reality of what Jesus did for us? Outside of Easter, okay? To stop and truly revel 
in what Jesus did so that you and I could have life. And Paul here is praying, man, I pray that the church through God's spirit would be strengthened to know, to really know the love of Christ. And you know, what's so interesting about that is he states that this love of Christ surpasses knowledge. If we try to make logical sense of what Jesus did, it's not going to happen. Because what logical human being would be tortured and crucified for a bunch of people who yelled, Free Barabbas! Crucify him! No one would. And so when we come back to the core of what we believe, when we come back to the gospel, it should transform our inner being. It should change how we live with people, not just your family, but the person who you can't stand. And shifts our mentality to go, man, who has Jesus called me to be? It's not an easy thing. It takes strength to be like Jesus. But remember, perceived strength on the outside does not equal godly strength on the inside. I know a lot of people who you might quantify as weak externally that are the strongest people spiritually on the inside that I have ever met in my life. And that brings to another point. Don't ever convince yourself that God cannot use you at any stage of life. Because some of the most impactful words that have ever been spoken to me have been spoken by people who you would not have expected it. Don't diminish how God can use you in that way. This prayer is also for comprehension. To know something, to recognize something. Now, as an illustration of this, I was trying to think of a, a picture to give you guys so that this would be more understandable. And so the only, the only one I could really think of was to use a chair. And this probably would be a more effective illustration if I had like a really nice lazy boy up here. That all of you are going, man, I want to sit in that chair. Okay? But this is what I had. Okay, so imagine just... We're going to imagine this is a really nice chair. And I know a lot about this chair. I've taken time to really study it. You know, I even memorized some of its features. And I've, I've been around it a lot. I've, I've looked through it multiple times. I, I could recognize a lot about this chair. But I haven't sat in it. I've, I've spent tons of time, though. It's okay. I've spent tons of time looking at this chair. Other people even told me about this chair, and I agreed. And I've, I've spent my whole life, and I, man, you asked me to draw a picture of this chair, I could do it. To write it down, I could, I could quote to you things about this chair. You get where I'm going with this? 
That is what we often do with our faith in Christ. And it might be the Bible, or it might be a command of Christ specifically, and how we're to, how we're to act, how we're to live, how we're to function as a church or as individuals. And so we tell ourselves over and over, I know these things. We, we might even tell other people, hey, did, do you know what this, the Bible says about this? And yet, do we truly comprehend everything about this until we actually sit down in the chair? There's something I've been missing by sitting in this chair. I could convince myself that I know everything about that chair, and yet the feeling and the security of sitting in it, I never experience until I do it. And so the concept to not just have strength internally, not just to uh, strengthen ourselves and say, I've got this, but the strength to comprehend the love of Christ and then say, I'm going to abide there. Because I know I'm secure. And so many times, church, so many times, we just do this dance around the chair. Or we try to build another chair next to it of our own making. And then, you know what happens? <laughs> this is what happens. Our chair breaks and we find ourselves on the floor. And what do we do? We might lean on this chair while we fix our own. I'm going to fix my own chair here. I'm going I'm to rebuild it. Oh, I have comfort in my own chair again. And then we move away. Paul's prayer is that the church would comprehend to really know. To really know the love of Christ. And our comprehension of these truths should lead us to an apprehension of the life I'm called to embody through Christ. A taking hold of, a grasping of this. Fourthly, this prayer is for fullness. It's for fullness. Look at verse 19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of who? Everyone say God. Now, I'm going to illustrate this again. I like word pictures. I like visuals. This really represents all of us. I'm going to make sure you guys can see. So i got three pictures here. Each one will have a different amount of water in them. Ignore this one for a minute. This is us. And so often what we do when we think about fullness is we compare how full we are in Christ or how mature we are in Christ based on how full someone else is or isn't. I would argue that if you are Convincing yourself that you are better off because so-and-so is worse off, that you are not as full as you think you are. Okay? That's what the Pharisees were saying. Look, at th- I'm so glad I'm not like this guy. No, 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 no. It goes against everything Jesus taught. But more often than not, 
I would say a majority of people I talk with feel that they're here or less. And they look at someone who they perceive as being here. And they go, man, I'm just not good enough. I'm, I'm just not there. I just, I can't make an impact because, you know, look, so-and-so, they're so gifted and they have so much ability to do this well. And I, I just, I, I don't measure up to that. What you miss when you distract yourself by that is that neither one of these are applicable. This represents Jesus. And both of you are striving or should be striving for the same measure of fullness. The same measure of fullness to where both of you are now together going, man, we're looking at Jesus and we're pursuing Christ and we're learning together. We're growing together and we're going to trust Christ to fill us as we seek to grow in him. We're going to pursue this well. And we're not going to give up on each other and we're not going to let division creep in because we recognize the church is one and even though people are different stages of life, man, we are seeking to be filled with the same fullness Jesus was. The fullness of God. This is exactly why our salvation is not an act of man's doing but is only something that can be done through Jesus. So instead, our measure of fullness or maturity has to be viewed through the lens of who Jesus is. It has to be. You can spend, church, this is important. Everyone look up here. You can spend your whole life being a good person, coming to church, convincing yourself that you are sitting in the chair, but you are not a mature follower of Jesus. It is possible that we can go through the motions and miss the point. Don't convince yourself that you've arrived so much so that you stop pursuing Jesus in everything that you do. Pursue Him with a passion and a vigor saying, I want the same fullness as Christ to have that same intimate relationship with my Heavenly Father. That Jesus had with him. To comprehend and be strengthened in God's spirit. To understand, to comprehend the love of Christ. Not just to know it. But to truly grasp it. And rest in it. Now part of that is. We have to reflect internally on what is distracting us from that. And. It's really something we encourage each other to do when we come to the communion table. I'm going to ask the guys to come forward. And as they do, I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians. And the church at Corinth, they were struggling. They were struggling with some of these things that Paul's talked about. And one of the things that Paul calls them out on specifically is that they're not coming to take communion in the way that they should. And I've been challenged by that as 
a pastor, as a shepherd, to make sure that we understand the brevity of coming to the communion table together. So 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17, it says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. That's pretty harsh reality. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on that night, when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We usually stop there, church. We stop there. But he goes on to say, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And so this is the command that follows out of that. Let a person examine himself and then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. I don't want that to be any of us, church. I don't want us to come to the Lord's table or together as a family And feel like we just have to put on a face. It's not what we're about. And if you feel that that's what we're about, be part of the change in making sure that I'm not going to be a person that's like that. Instead, we take time to evaluate my life, to confess sin, to recognize that this is not just a ritual. This is important to remember what Jesus has done. As part of this passage that we just read. That we would have strength through God's spirit to comprehend, to know, truly know the love of Christ. This is what this is for. And so I encourage you, as the men serve communion to you. Take time and evaluate your life. And if you feel like there is some unresolved stuff in your life. Don't take communion. Pass it by. There's nothing wrong with that. It is far more respectable for us to say, you know what? I cannot in good conscience do this until this is resolved. And so I'm going to go and resolve this. If you go and resolve that this week and you want to take communion right after, you come to our office and I will personally make sure you receive communion this week. But let's do it right. As we seek to be a church that embodies what God desires, not what we want. To really 
ingrain this into a culture of saying we want to be focused on Jesus. We want to be full as Jesus is. And commit that time to him. So I'm going to pray. These guys are going to serve you as they do. Take some time to reflect on these truths. Heavenly Father, we trust you and know that you are a God who is faithful. I pray that in this time of reflection that you would be glorified. Help us to evaluate our lives. Bring to mind any lingering sin or undealt with conflict. And help us to do this right. In Jesus' name.